Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Way, what's up, everybody? Wow, what an amazing episode of The Greatness Machine. We had Fred Reichelt here, the creator of NPS, Net Promoter Score. If you have a business you don't know what that is, you've been living under a rock. It was so cool. We learned the history of NPS, his belief in how do we enrich our clients and how do we build these businesses, what to measure if you really want to create the best business out there. So for all my business people that listen to the show, even if you're not a business person, this is if you're an entrepreneur or business person, you need to listen to the show. I love NPS, but Fred just blew my mind. That was just one of the coolest hours that we've ever had on the show. Stay tuned. Enjoy the show. Guys, welcome to today's episode of The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazi. And boy, do we have an amazing guest. My friend Fred Reichheld is in the house. Fred, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Oh my gosh! So my my team is always out there. I have my I have my wish list of guests, and, and Fred doesn't know this, but I have my wish list of guests, and it's 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 a long list. I'm out there hunting for the folks I want to talk to about all the greatness they've achieved, and um, <clears throat> I see all of a sudden and a, a a come through on, on the calendar that that Fred had booked the show, and I look and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been wanting you on the show forever, and here we are. So. Uh, our guests might be like, or excuse me, our, our listeners, you might be like, why, why, why do you want Fred on the show? And the reason for it is because Fred is the inventor of the net promoter score. And I, and I am like, you guys hear me talk about this on the show all the time. I am as big of a promoter of the net promoter score as you can be. So I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get to geek out with the man himself who created the tool that I love so much. So Fred, welcome to the show. This is so cool. You know, it's great to be on a on a show about greatness because one of the things that I've discovered is too many people ha- think about Net Promoter as a marketing thing or customer CX thing. It's that, but it's much more because there's no sh- how you define greatness, how you measure greatness is at the core, uh, and and I think you measure greatness by how many lives you enrich, and what Net Promoter measures in essence of all the lives I've touched. How many are enriched? How many are diminished? You know, the people who felt the love, people whose lives were diminished. And that's that's promoters minus detractors. That's net promoter score. 
Yeah, it's it's. I think what I love about it, and we're going to obviously get to geek out on this and go deep on it on the show, is just the, to your point. Like, the, it's such a simple. It's just such a simple way to see whose lives are you changing and in what ways, whether that's your internal client, your external client. And, and, and I'm so excited to chop this up with you. Now, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping, though. For listeners who are new to the show, we're about two things. We're about people who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And Fred is another short of passion short, nor greatness. So we're going to get to talk about all his passions and greatness that he's created and, and how that has really affected the business world and, and even the personal worlds of many people's lives uh, today on the show. But, I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, I, I first learned of Fred through the tool that he created at Bain uh, called Net Promoter Score. Um, I want to give a little bit of your formal b- background. And then, and then um, if you don't mind, we love origin stories here at The Greatness Machine. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your origin story. So uh, without further ado, Fred Reichheld is, was, is the founder of Bain's Loyalty Practice, current fellow at Bain, named by economists as the high priest of loyalty. I was like, if you're the high priest, I'm a disciple of the high priest. Uh, creator, as I mentioned, of the NPS or Net Promoter Score, as it's formally called. Best-selling author of five books on loyalty. One in particular was a New York Times bestseller that you may have heard of called The Ultimate Question 2.0, How Net Promoter, Promoter Companies Thrive in a Customer-Driven World. And um, yeah, like you got this, this tool is everywhere. And what's funny is this. I always talk to folks and I go, oh yeah, you know, you guys use, you guys use NPS and they always look at me like, you know what NPS is? You guys do ENPS in your business and, and, the, and people give me usually a puzzled look and then I tell them the question and they always know what it is. And so it's one of these things that's very pervasive. It's, you know, every company uses it or should use it if they don't, but, but, but like every company you do business with does this, I found, but I'd love, you know. I know that we all don't start at the top of the mountain. I'd love, Fred, if you could, you know, give our audience here a little bit of your origin story, how how you got to where you got to, and and then I have a plethora of questions for you that I'd love to dig into. Wow, where to start? You know, I I grew up in a uh, a town called Parma, Ohio, uh, a neighborhood that was just downwind from Ford Engine Plant Number Two. It was it's not the the shishi place to to grow up, and I uh, I probably have every man's view of the world from, from growing up. And then I was lucky enough to get into Harvard college and got to meet the other side of the world. Um, and, and then joined Bain and company, uh, which at the time was just a tiny little startup, but it felt like the way that we could be different is to dedicate ourselves to our client success. And that, that dedication to your client success, that's a higher that's that's what Jesuits did. That you know that that's a it's a moral compass more than necessarily a business economics proposition, but it works. And and when you really do enrich the lives you touch and make your customers succeed, make them happy, solve their problems, that starts this flywheel spinning that the counting misses. But it's at the core. It's at the heart of every great enterprise. It, it, customers feel the love. And then they come back for more and bring their friend. And that is, you know, that's such a simple idea, but accounting doesn't measure it. And, and therefore it's a little bit invisible, except to the most intuitive great leaders. So, that, you know, I, I went through this, I recognized greatness by companies who had the highest loyalty of customers and employees. And then the microeconomics were astonishing. And I tried to get my head around, how is it the world doesn't see this? And it's because we we sort of see the world through accounting lenses, and 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 we and so greatness is really camouflaged. Yeah, it's interesting that you know 
and I think maybe this is what why it resonated so much for me is, you know, especially coming, I, I come from a, a banking background, um, entrepreneur in mortgage banking, and, and a very black and white bean counting type, and I have an accounting degree. So come from a bean counter background. And I always found that you have this, it's almost like left brain, right brain, this, this part where it says, okay, well, what's the pro- revenue? What's your expenses? You know, what's the bottom line? You know, we always hear what, how good's the bottom line. And, and then there's this other side of like, well, how do you get there? Right. And there's all these intangibles that are hard to measure such as to your, you know, prior to your tool loyalty or how people are feeling about you as a brand or how they feel about working for you and how are we creating engagement with our clients and, and our teams. And for me, I started looking, I said, well, well, this kind of makes sense to me. If I really want the bottom line to be great, I got to kind of figure out these intangibles because, and I used to tell my business partners, I said, I said, well, what's the value of someone caring? I would say it's pretty high. Probably the highest thing you need is I need team members to care and I need my clients to care. And yet we, we're in a world, I think, even, even today's day and age where things are, are much different than maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago, where people are recognizing that these soft measurements, if you will, are super valuable. What, like, what do you think has been like, like when you look back to the beginning of this and what you said makes total sense, like, hey, let's care about loyalty. Like, what was it that drove that practice to come to be? Because I think that with, with this is back in the late 70s, early 80s, that was that was probably much more like a top-down approach of management, much more militaristic style management. What really drove this tool to, 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 to come out of Bain? Well, I'm like you. I'm sort of a, a numbers guy and a, a left side of the brain. I, I was an economics major, took all sorts of grad courses in statistics and probability and data, what's now called data science. And, and so I wasn't the soft side. I was... I just noticed companies who had high performance, you know, it's astonishing growth and profitability and, and, and great reputations. And, and the common theme I found was they had great loyalty from their customers and their employees. And there was something about when you inspired teams to commit to, to serve, uh, then wonderful things can happen. And, and I, you know, I started with the economics. Retention rates were what I started measuring. The economic advantage, the microeconomic advantage of superior retention was pretty astonishing. It's sort of like compound interest rates. You just don't have this intuitive feel for, wow, you change retention rates by five points from, say, 80 to 85% retention, and you can double the, the value of a customer through a lifetime. And, and I dug and dug into the, the pure microeconomics, and then I got to where you mentioned, why? How is it these leaders are building this kind of uh, wonderful loyalty. And I, I figured out over, you know, it took 40 years to get it. It's love. When customers feel loved and cared for, then they're loyal and they come back for more and refer their friends. And and that is the flywheel that generates all of these wonderful accounting outcomes, but accounting doesn't see it. So it's sort of a mystery. Yeah, I, I love yeah. that. It's like a bit of a black box to your point because it's not as black and white. It's how do you measure that, that someone loves you, right? That they're willing to, you know, give you grace when you don't give the perfect service because you've given so much, you've paid into the till so much, right? So to speak. Or, but even accounting, think about this. We don't even have the basic tools. I call it customer-based accounting in the in the book Winning on Purpose. But, you know, if I went to a business and said, okay, how what percentage of your customers are growing their revenues staying steady and shrinking they couldn't answer that Mm. that that is a simple question 
Because, you know, that's a little signal. If they're growing revenues with you, they're probably happy. <laughs> if they're just staying where they are, they're passives. And if they're shrinking, but because accounting is set up the way it is, we just, that's not immediately obvious. Oh, that's, that's so interesting. So I have a question for you. Uh, um, how did you guys, co- well, first and foremost, for listeners who don't know what, what they're like, what is this NPS you're talking about? Do you mind explaining to our, the audience what Net Promoter Score is, what the question is, how it works? Sure. I mean, I'll, and maybe a little history behind it. I was searching... You know, we were sophisticated math, Bain, Harvard trained stuff. I like customer net present value and, you know, discount capital. And um, it's it's too complicated. Businesses can't make decisions based on that. And it's future. You have to be an actuary to really understand the probabilities of of repeat purchases and expanded purchases and changes in cost structure and referrals and, and on and on. So we were looking for what's the just the simple way to measure progress. And I started saying, well, retention is a good one, but retention's too late. When someone defects and goes away, it's it's often too late to learn or to assign accountability. And so in this searching process, I finally said, you know, we need a survey. I hate surveys, but if we're gonna have a survey, uh, let's make it one, you know, one question why and one question to what to do with it. So it's a two question survey. That's the shortest survey ever designed. And But we needed the right question. What's the one question that gets to the core of has your life been enriched? Are you going to come back for more? Refer your friends. And we tested all the classics. How satisfied? Rate your experience. Um, the winning question was how likely you'd recommend us to a friend. And we use a 0 through 10 scale because that sort of fine, it teased apart the true my life was enriched from the guys who were, eh, it's fine. I, you know, I'll keep buying from you, but. Uh, I'm not loyal. And then the the, the detractors who feel like their life is diminished. So net promoter is just simply this, ask a question, how likely to recommend us to a friend on a scale from zero to 10? Nines and tens tend to be the promoters. So what percent give you nines and tens minus the people's lives you've diminished, the detractors, which is zero through six in most industries. And that net gives you a sense of, you know, of all the lives I've touched, how many are enriched? How many are diminished? And it gives one summary statistic, the net promoter score, that lets you focus on this as your uh, your primary goal. And so, and let me ask you a question because this is when I used to. I'm gonna give you a little background for me. So I was a CEO of a one of the largest mortgage banks in the United States, and um, and I brought NPS in every company I go in NPS day one. And now I can do consulting, and the first thing I do is we roll out NPS. And so. Um, I, but what I did with my team is we had an employee onboarding where we where it was a full day where we would teach them a couple things. We would teach them uh, our company core values, our company core purpose, and I would teach them about NPS because I wanted them to understand it. And it was a tool that we used. And one of the things I would teach them was I said, you know, you know, most people think a B is a good grade, like an eight out of ten, right? But in NPS, I could get if I interview ten of you and ten of you give me an eight. I have a 0% score. So to walk me through the, the thoughts around, you know, someone scores you an eight in NPS land, that's a zero score, right? Nines or tens are worth plus plus one. Sixes or below are worth negative one. So I always told you, I said, you think a, 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 the lowest score possible in NPS is negative 100%. Highest score possible right. is 100%. It's a 200 point scale. So I'd love for you to walk through the thoughts around why why did you guys decide to say, hey, an eight, eight's a zero. That person... They're, they're a passive. Who knows? Why would we give them a point? 
Well, we experimented with different scales and different uh, definitions. And plus I had a mental model. I knew that if you really enrich someone's life, they would want to share that with a loved one. They would refer you to a friend. It's an act of love. It's not selfish. It's not, it's not so much for the business. It's I would like my friend or family member to, to have that enriching experience. And that, those are tens. And then you run into some cultures, Germans, Dutch, they just don't give tens. So they give nines. There's always room for improvement. So the nines and the tens are the people where you've just succeeded at being great and making the world a better place and enriching lives and kickstarting this flywheel of prosperity that then helps your employees join in the parade of, of happiness. Because think about it, an employee where their boss puts them in a position to enrich the life of a customer. And then they hear the standing ovation and benefit from the, that magic customer love flywheel. Um, that's, that's the magic of business. And, and it, you know, it's a miracle. Just like the miracle of creation, business, when it runs that way, creates stuff that wasn't here before in a self-funding um, loop. It, it's, it's, it's like nuclear fusion. It is, it is a miracle. And, and so let me ask, and I couldn't agree more. I, it's when you when you see those nines and tens come across, and, and for for me, I I I was all about building a culture where look, we're here to get nines and tens. Like, and, and when we don't get it, we need to figure out why we're not getting it. So, one of the questions I I would ask you, because I think a lot of folks when when I'm either working with them or in my own businesses, when they'll want to roll it out in, in the form of, and, and lots of companies do this in the form of a, a digital survey. And I was, and, and I, and not to say you shouldn't do that, but for higher value clients where it's higher dollar, I ended up, I said, when, when you can, I like to interview them and do it verbally. What do you, what are your thoughts around the verbal NPS versus the digital NPS? I think it's very hard for people to tell you face to face how they really feel. It, uh, especially when they want to keep working with you. You know, they don't want to hurt your feelings. They don't want to screw up relationships. So they'll tend to uh, not give you the unvarnished truth. Mm. The, the most powerful thing I've seen is ping them. And it's what we do at Bain. Ping them with a simple survey, zero through 10. And, and then why and how we could do better. Probably two open text verbatims in a, in a B2B enterprise, B2B setting like, like Bain's clients. But then that's just the preliminary to having a deeper conversation with them. Right. It, it right. coaxes out the truth that you can then talk and, and initial hypotheses of, uh, and root causes from those verbatim comments. But then it sets up a deeper conversation about here's what I'm hearing and, and here's what I'm thinking about doing it. What, what do you think? That's, that's the best practice I've seen. Interesting. Okay. And so what... Um... When I guess my next question for you on that is when folks are, you know, going for those deeper questions and, and they're trying to, to get good feedback. I mean, do you think there's a best practice around, is it just the open-ended question or is it for, for me, if we, I said, look, if we have a negative comment or a six or below, we're on the phone with that client and figuring out what we can do better. And what I found yeah, that's was the right, that's obviously the right thing to do. And, and I just can't believe how many people are now using the, the net promoter systems, you, you know, but misusing it, abusing it and ignoring zero through six uh, responses or, or text that obviously they're unhappy. 
because that you could sort of hide behind, well, I didn't even know how unhappy they were. Now you know it. And, and now it's clear you don't care because you're not calling and apologizing. So I think there's this, this, reliable, this responsibility. If you're going to ask somebody how likely you recommend a zero to 10 and you get an answer, you better do something about it. And certainly with the people zero through six, but I think even the people with the nines and the tens, make sure you know their voice was heard and you're going to take their uh, advice, or if you're not going to take their advice, explain why. So it's a duty of care for people. If you if you want them to feel loved, it's a communication as part of that. Listening and 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 educating and, and responding is part of that relationship building. Some of it can be digital and still be appropriate, but it has to be there. The loop has to be closed. What? So one of the issues I found with doing the digital stuff, especially nowadays with everyone's online and, and was when I did it. So what I ended up doing was I had a person who was calling on behalf of the CEO of the company. My clients, by the way, had no problems giving us low scores. Like the, the <laughs> they were, they were, they, they appreciated it. So, uh, but we, I, well, the way I did it was I said, look, we have about 500 transactions a month. I want to hear from 80% of the clients on, uh, because every transaction is really valuable for us. Um, and, and so I, so I said for this type of client, I want to pick up the phone and, and ask them the question verbally. And, and it worked that, that tended to work for us. I appreciate what you're saying though, because that was the pushback I got from some folks was, Oh, these are, they're sugarcoating the score. Right. Um, but what I found do the digital, get the digital score. People can be a little bit more brutal and bold it, it, when it's just a digital uh, communication. And then when it's face to face, it's 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 a little bit uh, harder to get the truth on the table. Makes sense. People want to be polite, right? It's like the internet. People will troll you without avail. Oh, avail. Yeah. You don't want to be. <laughs> Nobody wants to be a jerk. Well, some people some... do, but you don't want to hang around with them. <laughs> so, but but my my issue with that though was the the response rates were just not that high, right? So so I found that's about a twenty percent, fifteen to twenty percent response rates. Kind of what I found through many organizations when we do the digital, because people are kind of surveyed out to your point earlier. Uh, what are some ways to get around that? Or what are your thoughts? What, how did Bain think about that? When you start a relationship, you explain the, the feedback mechanism and that you're depending on them and, and you're going to do everything you can to turn them into a promoter and earn their loyalty. But at, you know, as a quid pro quo, you're going to be asking them, you know, let's say twice a year, and you say, is it easier to do that by SMS text? Do you want a phone call? Do you want to do, let the, you know, get them committed to the, the reasonableness of this? You know, it's not just another ridiculous marketing waste of time. Uh, this is an important part of how we learn and serve you. And, and when people agree up front, you know, in a B2B setting, you should be getting 80, 90% response rates. And, and presume anybody who doesn't respond is a detractor because they're not willing to invest in the relationship. I love that. So, so uh, like we call that educating our environment, right? So we're going to educate our environment to your point. Not give me a 10. Only a 10 is a passing no. grade. That's how people are getting educated today, which is you're wasting my time. That's why the scores are response rates are 2%. Well, it's funny also. Um, I, I think that depend. you know, what Charlie Munger says, what you, you show me people's behavior, show me their incentives. Right. So I think I, I, yeah. I'm, what I've found as this, and this is anecdotal, but what I've found 
is people are out there bragging about their scores and then I'm and then I'm digging in and finding out they're coaching their clients to give them like high scores, wow. right? And then I said, what are you trying to accomplish here? This is crazy. Your goal here is to build a better experience, not to make sure that the supervisor gets a bonus or doesn't get penalized. So what are some thoughts around organizations that are maybe fearful of that, that we're not getting, it's junk in, junk out, we're getting bad data because we don't, you know, we don't know if our supervisors are coaxing higher scores and whatnot. What, how, what, how did Bain think about that? Or what are your thoughts on that? One of the primary motivations in writing Winning on Purpose was to call out this horrible abuse of the net promoter system, which is make it a KPI, link it to people's bonuses, and then let them game and coach and plead and, and trade tens for free oil changes, whatever it takes. It just... And, and so I, I take people back. You've got to understand the, the principles, the, what, what underlies this whole set of ideas. It's the golden rule. Love thy neighbor as thyself. That enriching lives is the, is the right goal for greatness. And, and to do that, this is a useful tool, but it's not the ultimate measure of success. The ultimate measure is do they come back for more and refer their friends? Um, so don't take this interim, this thing that shines a light on this flywheel don't sort of pretend it actually is measuring the flywheel and link it to compensation or you destroy it and i I would say most of the world still doesn't understand that i love that so so i mean what i just heard you say was hey let's maybe use nps as a leading indicator and then the lagging indicator can be you know do clients come back and and do business with us again if they're scoring us high right to your point i mean is that how you're thinking about it yeah you know I develop a, a metric in, in the book called earned growth. And, and, and the reason I did it is because I think people are misusing a survey NPS. We need something that is an accountability metric, which has to be an accounting auditable metric. And, and it is simply this idea of, you know, how, much, how many of your customers are coming back for more and bringing their friends. So earned growth is just how much of my growth is coming from repeat business from existing customers plus their referrals. And it's one of these things where if you were designing the business system 50 years ago with this in mind, it would be a standard metric already. But because we use accounting and, and, and profits is the objective function and people start to think, oh, maximizing shareholder value is a real purpose of a business. And, and therefore, any, we, we extract maximum value from our customers' wallets. Anything legal, you know, go for it. Fine print, tricks and traps. Uh, short change, you know, anything. So you go down to this immoral path toward profits as if that's actually going to, you know, somehow Adam Smith's invisible hand is going to make the world a better place. (laughs) I don't think so. Let's start measuring greatness the right way. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think what what I'm hearing you say essentially is this differentiator between stakeholder value versus shareholder value. And, And I mean, I have a mentor, his name's Rand Stegen, and he's heavily involved in the conscious capitalism movement. And he talks about this idea of long-termism, it, it, having this belief in building long-term relationships. How do our products, how do our experiences affect not only the, the shareholder, but everyone outside of that, the stakeholder that, that is affected by these transactions. What are your thoughts on how a tool like NPS can be leveraged or maybe even just your general beliefs regarding you know, creating value and enriching people's lives through a stakeholder mentality or long-term mentality outside outside of this short-term perspective that I think Wall Street and, and our current economics really promote, unfortunately. 
Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life, from canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply & Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Yeah, I think probably the the Bible on greatness has been Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. And, and people have just adopted that and put it on, you know, that's how you think about great leadership. Um, I think Collins is a really smart guy with a lot of good stuff to teach, but the companies he based his book on are not great for the most part. You look at them today, there are 11 of them. Bankruptcies, jail time, uh, huge fines from the government. On average, this is a rogues gallery. Now, how could somebody as smart as Jim Collins pick a group that would embarrass us all so so terribly as as exemplars of greatness well it's because he used the accounting metric and the stock market they had return they had 
improved financial results for a period of time. And then, it, you know, so they're great. And if you use that as your metric of greatness, you, you really, it's a false God. Now, I, I went back and checked. He, in his book, which is a really good book, it's worth reading. Um, it's 5 million copies sold. So, I, you know, outside of the Bible, I don't think there's a business book <laughs> that, that I'm close. Um, he does not word, mention the word customer for, for 30-ish pages. So there's this idea that you can, you can talk about a great company and great leadership and not think about the impact you have on your customers. And, and that is this, that, this ticking time bomb, this walking through our economy, ready to explode every business that thinks greatness can be defined by accounting and how rich I get. And so if you were to, you know, I mean, that's what we're talking about here is whether we're talking about gap accounting or, or the way Wall Street measures success. Like if you were to be able to, you know, go in there and, and, and I say, hey, Fred, you're now in charge of uh, all the, the way all these companies report. What, 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 might, what might be some changes that you would want them to be held accountable to when we're starting to figure out what real value is? I would want to know my whole customer base. How many of those customers are growing their revenues with us? How many are uh, stable and how many are shrinking? That's a simple idea, but it gives you a sense of how much of your customer base is feeling the love. Then then the next level of sophistication, okay, not every customer is worth the same. Maybe the ones that are shrinking are not our target customers. They're not profitable. So I want to weight this with revenues. So I want to look at of all our revenues that we're generating this period, how many are coming from people who were with us last period and know us? They know much more than what the sales pitch was or the, you know, the marketing shtick. <clears throat> they, they've got the reality of experiencing the, the, the true value proposition of that group. You know, how much of our growth is coming from them plus their referrals? That's a really good measure of are you on the right path and are you enriching lives and, and, and making this flywheel the customer love flywheel spin faster. Oh my gosh, I love that. Um, and you said that that you had written about about that. Obviously, the ultimate question is, is your is the book that's gotten the most um, you know acclaim, winning a New York Times bestseller. What was the name of the book that you're referring to right now that that goes deeper on this? Winning on purpose. Winning on purpose. It, my bet will have much more impact than anything I've done to date. It's a little less than a year old. It defines earned growth, and I think anybody I explain this to. They get it. The, the light goes off in their eyes, but they, it's harder to measure than you think because the accountants haven't figured it all out for you. It's not impossible, though, and, and, uh, and, it's, and it's just two simple components. One, one's pretty standard called net revenue retention rate. In, in some industries, they already report it like SaaS uh, and software as a service businesses. Net revenue retention is just this idea. How much of your revenue is coming from people who used to do business with you last period? Then, but then you got to get referrals. We say, oh, we don't have a way to measure referrals, do we? Well, you got to, because it's the best signal if you have enriched a life. It's better than repeat purchase, because a lot of people do it because they're lazy. They're stuck with a contract. They, you know, they've integrated your prod product into their system or your software, but they don't refer to a friend unless right now you are the kind of company that the, they want to they want to co-brand their personal reputation with. So it's the highest standard of excellence. And it's not rocket science. When new customers come in the door, just ask them, what's the primary reason you decided to, to join us? 
and referral from friend or is one of the options. That's a good way to find who's coming in on referral. And if you're really good, say, and, and who was it that, that, that had the best, biggest impact with their referral? So you can close the loop and understand what it was you did, what, what had in that person's experience, what turned them into such a promoter. That's where the learning should be taking place. Now, you know, I'll go back. I don't mean to imply that this higher-minded, love thy neighbor philosophy is not actually a path toward personal success and wealth. Because if you go back to the good to great companies, um, in the 10 years after Jim Collins wrote his book, their total shareholder return was was uh, 0.4 times the median in North America. Mm. Now, median is mediocre, not great. 0.4 times the median means they suck. Yeah. You know, they destroyed, they destroyed shareholder value, parading as great companies, um, and they're not great. Now, look at the companies from my previous book, uh, The Ultimate Question 2.0. Um, take every one of the companies that we use as exemplars who are NPS leaders in their industry, invest in their stock over the 10 years after I wrote that book, you would beat the stock market by 500, five times. You know, unbelievable. Uh, I mean, you just... You, if you know that, you know, if you're a Charlie Munger and you're smart, you'd say, that's not credible. That's how I felt. And then I said, you know, it's this flywheel. When customers feel the love, come back for more and refer their friends, it generates more economic advantage than our traditional economic and accounting tools let us see today. And, and you know, just look at the facts. My, my loyalty leaders outperform the stock market by five times. That that makes a lot of wealthy people. Oh yeah, uh, you know, employees and investors. So this is not uh, a communist plot or socialist thing that says profit is bad. I say no, no, profit is great when it's earned. It, it, it earned growth generates wealth, um, and it it is a win-win. But the, the, amazingly, the world is struggling to see it because we don't have the metrics in front of businesses. Accountants have not figured it out yet. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this. I'm going to give again, anecdotally, my own business, average NPS over 70% for a decade, average ROE 33% for that time period. That's pretty sweet. I mean, that's evidence right there. Those are real numbers. I mean, and, and my highest, I think that we did for a year was 75%. This is us interviewing thousands of our clients. So you know, I, I say, I don't care what, like, I just know what I know. Right. And, and you look at that business and this is a commoditized business. It's a mortgage banking. We're building MBSs and selling them and trading them. There's yeah. nothing sexy here, and, but clients love doing business with us. We cared about their experience a lot and we charged for it and we made money. Right. So it, I, I think it goes back to what you're saying earlier is, am I, you know, really looking to create value in my client's lives where they want to keep doing business with me? And, and make and make the world a better place. Right. Those are such easy words; people throw them away. But it, it's a it's a useful context for. I asked someone was CEO, and he was asking me, Fred, what, how did you come up with that NPS thing, that likelihood to recommend? And I said, Well, we just we looked at the correlation between responses from customers on various questions, including likelihood to recommend, and and then compared that to their those customers' real behaviors in the subsequent six months or 12 months, you know, how many referrals, repurchase, 
the track, all this stuff. And, and it was, it was the best predictor. And he's, he was really disappointed. He said, Oh, I thought you really understood why recommend was so special. And, and I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, I don't recommend a company or a brand who pollutes the environment or abuses its employees or cheats on its taxes. Um, referring is this the highest standard, you know, I'm co-branding my personal reputation. Yeah. And so it's more than just delighting a customer. It's delighting them in a way that makes them proud to be associated with you. Mm. And mm. that really is the right path for greatness. I love that. It makes such so much sense, right? Because I, even when you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't, I, it's hard to get a referral for me, but, but, yeah. but if I refer you and you can keep up your, and you can keep up that standard that led to that referral, I'll, I'll, I'll sing your praises. You'll be on that yeah. short list. So, so I, I love, I love that, that you said that. And this actually leads me to another question. And, um, but, but before I go to this question, I, I want to address this idea of NPS net promoter score versus ENPS employee net promoter score. So, I, I got to assume that, you know, I, I learned of that after I had learned of NPS and became a huge proponent of ENPS in my, in my own businesses. And, and for listeners that don't know what that is, this is where we're asking our employees the same question internally. Would you recommend our, you know, a friend or colleague to come work for the company, right? Um, yeah. On a scale from zero to 10. What, like, how did you guys come, like decide to create that, that tool? Well, NPS is an open source system. Um, when when I invented this thing, um, there was a, a wrestling match of from various firms who who I knew or was on the board of, and 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 band where I'd worked forever. Oh, this we should do this. You know, like JD Power has the secret black box for the JD Power score. This is how you make money with a a metric. I I convinced my partners. I want to. We can change the world if we make it open source. Uh, our competitors are going to use it. You know, the, the BCGs and McKinsey's aren't going to fight to kill it. And the, it, it, we're, and you'll get maximum adoption and learning. So this idea that people experiment and share their successes and the, the, the community around NPS, we have been at the center because we, we run forums, we run uh, meetings, we write about it. Some of the early pioneers in NPS, Apple was one of them, they just started using it for their employees. And I thought, that's brilliant. And, and as I saw how it was playing out, um, how likely to recommend this is a great place to work. Zero through 10, it gets to the core of what you're trying to be as a, and the best ones taught their employees, you know, we can't be a great place to work unless we're putting you in a position where you can earn standing ovations from your customers right. and let you hear those standing ovations and, and get the right recognition and rewards when you or your team accomplish that. So these are, these ideas are connected. You can't have high customer NPS without also having very high employee NPS there. It's an unstable situation. Now, what do you do first? I think it depends on the situation, but you have to understand the greatest, when you ask a Bain person, what's the key to making you happy? And, and Bain, by the way, has won the Glassdoor best, best place to work uh, ranking I don't know, five out of the last 10 years, they've been in the top four forever. Right. The, the key is people want to feel like a valued member of a team that wins for its customers. And 
you know, that's a, that's EMPS and, and CNPS wrapped together. Winning for your customers means high customer NPS and valued member of a winning team. Well, that's, and at Bain, we have a process where every week we ask team members to, in, for their own team huddle, um, private, it's not, not uh, public upstairs to Big Brother headquarters, um, how likely you'd recommend your team as a, to a qualified colleague mm. and zero for 10. And, and it just regularly gets people to think about, are we behaving like the kind of team where I would want my best friends at work uh, to, 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 to join us? It's the right, you have to do it regularly. These quarterly and annual surveys are cool ideas, but that's not how you change. That's not how you change a life or a business. It's got to be daily and weekly. Interesting. And I think these are the ideas that need to be at the front of, am I treating customers in a way that uh, is, is enriching their lives? And am I happy with progress there? And is our team the kind of, am I feeling like a valued member of a team that's winning with clients? Would I recommend it to a friend? Those are ideas that we need to have, if not daily, then weekly in front of our brains. Yes, it's interesting because I was thinking about the way I, I use the tools and with the, with the, with the customer, the CNPS, we were doing it daily and aggregating it like it was rolling. It was, we were constantly seeing, yeah, I was seeing cool. scores every day. And so what it allowed me to do is proactively see what was going on in the business and, and, and fix stuff right away. Right. So like, so that became this really interesting, like early light signal, if there's something off or, and, and we got really granular with that. I, the opposite was true though. And I think there may have been a mistake was, and, and it's, it's led to the question why I was going to ask this, which was on the employees I, I used some other pulse surveys, but I didn't use NPS on, uh, where I would ask them every other week or I did it every week, but they got tired. So we moved it to every other week. And so I, what I did though, and that was not anonymous on NPS though, I did a really robust survey of the staff once a quarter and I did ENPS in there and I, and I made it fully anonymous. And, and what my question for you was what I noticed was it was a really volatile score, but I think you already answered my question, which was, I wasn't doing it. I was doing it too inconsistently. Um, and people in this digital world, people don't trust that it's anonymous anyways. And, and when it's anonymous, it seems to lose a lot of its power because you can't close the loop. But the way we sort of, um, we, we split that in Bain is we're in teams of five, sometimes 10, but let's small mm -hmm. five would be normal. And um, it's anonymous, and we've proved it's anonymous. Uh, you know, it's been pressure tested over the years. So people know when they give a score, it's not going to go up to Big Brother with their name on it. On the other hand, they're going to be talking about it with people in a small group. So it's really clear who said what. Right. It's just, you know, that's how groups are. So you, it's, it's not to protect, it's to get a more honest conversation where people think about it the night before, or at least an hour before. And then everything is shared with that team um, because most of the progress has to happen in that small group. Then what needs to go upward? Uh, the, the office head gets those scores anonymized by, so every team has a score and we rank order every team mm -hmm. and, and the partners look at which teams are in trouble. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. if we got people who are not feeling good about recommending this as a great place to work or, they're not proud of the value they're for creating for clients. We're not going to go penalize them. It's not a punitive place. 
they need help. And as long as you really are giving help and not being punitive, it's welcomed. And it, it just, it gets the whole place focused on the right stuff instead of hiding problems. Or, you know, if you, if you let the score, the team score be how you promote your leaders, then suddenly they're going to be telling their team, look, never put less than a 10 on the survey. Let, you know, we can talk about it among our team, but you know, you'll be disloyal to me and ruin my career. You just, you have to get these subtle things about what's the purpose here? Uh, how, who can we trust to be honest with? And, and which of these sur surveys is going to be used for evaluation as opposed to help? Yeah, no, it's, I, I, I'm so glad to hear all the things you're saying. I'm like, I did all those things. <laughs> so I ranged, I, I, cause I had, you know, about, I, I mean, compared to Bain, we were a much smaller company, but I had a thousand employees. Right. So, and it was seven different business divisions and probably 30 divisions within those divisions or uh, different departments. And so for us, I rank, I, I, I would do uh, rank them based off of their scores. And to your point, I could kind of get a, a, a medium mean score for the company to kind of benchmark. And then I'm like, yeah. look, if you're, you know, within that range or below it, I know there's, I said, there's always one or two issues. There's probably a, there's a process issue or there's a people person issue. And I, and, and I want to go figure out what it is. Right. Because to your point, if you give people a microphone and I used to say this, I said, most people don't want to hear what their team has to say. And that's why they don't ask. And, and I'm like, it doesn't mean it's not happening. It just means that it's happening quietly and you don't hear it. And you, yeah, it's a lot of wasted energy. It's true. Yeah. And, and it's almost like a cancer that you don't know is killing you. Right. And my perspective was, yeah, I don't necessarily love hearing people yell, but at least I want to know if there's yelling going on. Cause it gives me an opportunity to fix what I don't want the yelling to happen. So I got to fix the problem. So the yelling doesn't happen. Um, yeah. And it's great. It really top flight companies need to keep learning on this basis. I, I saw something in the paper today about how Southwest airlines was not, didn't want to set rules to, to help customers understand what was fair because some customers will think they can go save seats when they get on first and others felt that that was abusive and uh, and there were no and they didn't want to set rules um, because they didn't want their employees to be policemen enforcing rules right. and I'm thinking oh I think that's wrong not having rules means that your employees are in this horrible situation of having to do a you know, a Supreme Court evaluation of every situation and, and, and you're making it harder for them. Now, I think employees will speak up if they have the right device to tell them, make it simple for us. Teach our employees, you know, teach the customers what's fair and saving seats and what's not. And, and, and then it, they don't have to be uh, Solomon at, at, at every decision. Yeah, it, I, 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 I guess it goes to the idea of it's like, show me where the boundaries are so I can manage people to it, right? And, and create a, a, a culture of accountability is what, what I just heard. Give me flexibility, but make it easy for me. You know, don't make it easy for customers to make it chaos out there. Definitely. So speaking of that, you know, I think we're in a, a place in the world right now where, I mean, I was, I was just traveling. I was in Miami, I was in Atlanta, and I was in Myrtle Beach. And, and I was talking to my wife and I was like, my gosh, like, I don't know what's happened with this COVID thing, man, but it feels like service levels everywhere have just gone to, in the in the toilet. Um, yeah. Like what? Like like I feel like we're in a world where you've never had access to more information on how to run a business better. I mean, this goes from top to bottom. You have the technology to get the transparency. You have the ability for clients to give you instant feedback, and yet here we are. Where I seriously said, I, said, I can't. I mean, this is noticeable how a how expensive everything is which that's another conversation but b i'm not the service is terrible 
you know, so I don't, I'm generalizing, but I'd love to hear like, like, what do you think, what do you think's causing that? And what do you think, how can we overcome that with maybe tools like NPS and, and, and the world we live in? I think we do live in that world. It is tough. A lot of people are very stressed out. Um, they're, they're abusive toward each other in traffic, uh, walking on the sidewalk in airplanes. So I, I think good, great companies are constantly teaching. That's why you have leaders. It's, it's to remind people that your job is to try to make your customers' lives a little bit better. It's tough out there. And, and it, for example, I, um, I, Costco is a company I write about in Winning on Purpose quite a bit because I, I think so highly of them. Oh, amazing. Uh, one, of the top, one of the top NPS scores in all of retailing. And um, I, I returned something the other day. I don't usually return stuff. I'm terrible. I just give it the goodwill. I'm, but this one, it was, it was expensive enough and, and it had broken. It was an electric shaver. It was like 200 bucks. And I thought, this shouldn't just break after less than a year. And I, I returned it. She didn't. She said, uh, no questions, just did. You know, we've got all the data here. I didn't have my receipt. She just had it all on her computer. And I said, boy, it must be great working at a place like this that where you can always do the right thing. And she said, it is, it makes it really easy, but, but this is retail, you know, you're on your feet all day. The hours are tough. And, and, and I, we just had to, we had to talk a guy off a tightrope the other day. He just went bonkers because she said the same thing you did. People are just, their lives are really on the razor's edge now said he lost it because he couldn't we couldn't get we were out of the combo pizza that he wanted and he just lit up and she said and you know it's not the pizza it was you know it's he's got problems at home or health issues or work but but she obviously had been she was the kind of person and had been coached that the right thing to do is to try and calm people down and get them under control not to call the police on them and and i think it's a culture and leadership that that has to bring us back home to to the kind of people that we can be. Interesting. So you know, you just gave me a thought, and 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 I was, I apologize for myself. I was kind of in victim mode. I'm like, oh man, you know, these folks they don't know how to like. When I was, a, I had a bunch of really hard jobs growing up. Worked at McDonald's and worked at the gas station for my dad, and you know, when did manual labor? And I said, oh, these these spoiled millennials, they. They don't know what it's like to work. They can't even give good service. This is literally like I sounded like, get off my lawn, you know. <laughs> but, but you know, you know, well, there's some of that in all of us, right? <laughs> totally right. Um, and and but it was funny. I like what I heard you say is like, really, what we're probably seeing is these these folks either went, and a lot of this is retail, right? They have hard jobs. The, you know, the, the, this yeah. is a hard. It's a hard time to you know people are scraping by. I saw this. I I had call center. Two hundred twenty employees were, were in my call center. And I remember coaching my leadership team there. And I said, guys, our average employee, this is a few years ago. I said, our average employee probably makes 16 bucks an hour. They probably do some side hustle on the job to pay their bills. They have a hard life. And it's our yeah. job to lead them. And this should be a place where they come, where they get to enjoy their work and give great service and love what they do. And it's an opportunity. And I think what I heard you just say is that we don't have enough of that leadership out there. What we have is a lot of people who are, having hard lives and they're taking it out on, on the people in front of them. And now we're, I'm seeing the reaction to that. Is that, is that. Frontline team leaders are the most important role, I think, in most businesses. Um, they're the role model. They, they create the team culture and environment. And, and I think, you know, if great leaders 
have to inspire their teams to enrich the lives of customers, to, to work together as a team to make lives better for, for the, and then they have to make sure that they've got the tools to, to do it and that they, they hear the standing ovations that they earn and they're, you know, they're rewarded when the team does delight customers. Right now, most people are just trying to get through the day without getting fired or, or getting a, uh, you know, a compliance problem. Set a higher standard, you know, take that pizza crazy man at Costco and talk him down off the windowsill and get him and you've made, you know, that's, that's serious. Now I, I happened to go get my um, COVID shot at that same Costco and uh, the, and I hadn't signed up for it, but the pharmacist said, no, we can take you in here. And, and I'm not busy right now. And I said, so do you like working at Costco? He says, no, I love working at Costco. And, and just went on to explain. He said, in my old job, I ran a pharmacy for a big chain. My boss, he, he was always talking about how to make the numbers go up. You know, why can't you make the numbers go up? He said, here... My boss is always talking to me about how I can make my customers happier. He said, that's a lot more fun. And that's where you get meaning and purpose in life is, is helping other people uh, be happy, be, you know, worry about their welfare. And, and the key is Costco's investors are getting rich. The leaders at Costco are getting rich. That's the path toward personal prosperity. But, but it's just so hard to see if you're seeing the world through the accounting lens. Oh, my gosh. The, speaking the truth over here. Uh, Fred, so I, I know we're, we're kind of running, running into the uh, end of the show here, and I want to respect your time. But we always end the show asking our guests one really important question here. Here at The Greatness Machine, we're all about creating greatness in the world. And, um, and doing so, you know, I think it's, this is a world where, you know, it's hard sometimes to create greatness. But uh, the question I'd love to ask you is, what do you believe is the biggest barrier to greatness for most companies and people? And how have you learned to overcome these barriers? I think for big companies today, big successful companies, um, and I cover this in, in the final chapter of Winning on Purpose, the, the name of the chapter is Be Humble. It's, it's arrogance, complacency, entitlement. That those who have had success, they lose sight of what actually got them there and, and think that they don't have a lot to learn. Be humble. It, it's, it's really hard to keep innovating and dealing with the challenges that life throws at you. Um, and, and, you know, just because you come up with something to delight a customer that worked this last year, that same thing's not going to delight them this year. You have to come up with something new and fresh, and that's hard. So I, you know, I think it's this lack of humility and understanding the true challenge. That's for the guys who've made it to the top, and then for the for the small businesses. I think what gets in the way is I greatness is making somebody's life better in, in, in a in a economically sustainable way. So you've got to get the economics fair. But then the objective function, how many lives can you enrich and how can I help you keep track of that? Because that my job as a leader is to help you lead a great life. What's a great life? Enriching the lives you touch and, and make, make sure the conversation is on that basis as opposed to I'm a coach. I can show you how to sell this many things and make your commission. And, uh, you know, 
that's not the right focal point for, for being grave. Well, I will tell you this right now. My life just got enriched for this conversation, as I'm sure did our listeners. Um, Fred, man, what a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I'm so excited to read your book, Winning on Purpose. Um, so for, for our listeners that want to you know, get any of your books or you know, follow you, or what's the best way for them to you know, stay, in, stay in, the, in the world of, of Fred Reicheld? Uh, check out my LinkedIn blog, Customer Obsession. Just sign up for Customer Obsession and read some of the uh, the posts on LinkedIn. I think you'll you'll stay up to date on my thinking. And and I've t- I've been told the most powerful thing for changing a business has been using my last book, Winning on Purpose, and get it into book discussion groups by teams in your organizations and let them talk about what are the principles that Fred's laying out here and. Which of them are we actually doing and which ones aren't we doing and what would need to change? Because if you can get people thinking about the moral basis, the foundation of what makes a great company, then they'll all be collaborators in helping you achieve that. You guys, you heard it here. Go buy the book, Waiting on Purpose. Bring it to your book clubs. I'm buying the book. I can't wait to read it. This is I'm, I've, this has been a record year for me on reading books, and uh, this is get, getting on the list and going to get consumed quickly. Um, Fred, thank you so much again. So much gratitude from here, here at The Greatness Machine having you. Um, I meant it what I said in the beginning, and, and I, I hope you could see that I'm clearly a, a promoter of your work, and um, we, we're really honored to have you here. Thank you, Darius. Oh, man. So, uh, listeners, uh, you guys heard it. We're going to put in the show notes. Uh, where to get the book, um, as well as the link for uh, Fred's blog. And listen, if you love the show, share this with your friends, share this with your colleagues, be a promoter of The Greatness Machine, give us a review, rate us. With that said, we love you. Peace out. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on and we're we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode, you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. 
I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.